Public housing in the United States has a long and sordid history. Modern public housing programs would begin under the presidency of Franklin D. Roosevelt as a part of his New Deal program, along with housing segregation, which would be exacerbated by Reagan's presidency. Various housing acts were passed in the 50-year period between Roosevelt and Reagan's presidencies, but they are nonetheless connected. Ronald Reagan, the 40th president of the United States, is known as the figurehead of an era of conservatism through his focus on slashing any, quote, big government programs. Almost immediately after his inauguration, Reagan took significant governmental funding out of social welfare programs such as affordable housing, food stamps, and free school lunch, just to name a few. In doing so, Reagan hoped to restructure the government so that the, quote, tax-paying American was getting their money's worth and wasn't paying for any freeloaders to live off the, to live lives of vice. This sentiment of poor people being a burden to society only grew throughout the 1980s and in Reagan's presidency, especially when the notion that big government was a problem became popularized. Throughout his presidency, Reagan made his disdain for the lower classes and love for the upper classes very clear. Through his economic policy, nicknamed Reaganomics, but more accurately known as trickle-down economics, supply-side economics, or voodoo economics, Ronald Reagan offered significant tax cuts to the wealthy in hopes that CEOs and business owners would then use that money they saved on taxes to raise the wages of their employees and invest the money in their communities, therefore trickling down to everyone in the system. However, this economic idea was never proven, nor did it work in the 1980s. Thousands of working-class citizens lost their jobs, homes, and incomes throughout the 80s and struggled to make ends meet while the number of jobs dwindled by the day. Due to the lack of income for many families, housing was unattainable, especially after the budget cuts of the Housing Urban Development Department made. Here to explain Reaganomics and the economic policy itself is economist at Louisiana Tech University, Dr. Patrick Scott. All right. All right, so you're Park Scott. So, how did Americans' attitudes change towards government during Reagan's presidency and into the 1990s? Not only did Ronald Reagan insist on the idea that big government was leeching from the American people and causing problems, but he also cut significant public social welfare programs like the Housing and Urban Development Department. This department impacted communities of color specifically, which was no accident. In cities like New York, the policies to no longer add any new housing developments under Reagan's presidency created more problems for those who were unhoused or living in poverty that was property that was dilapidated. In a New York Times article from 1981, Anthony B. Gleadman, New York City Commissioner of Housing, Preservation, and Development, shared his doubts about the new housing policies to defund HUD. Quote, I think it's absolutely clear they are looking to the private sector for production, and in New York, I don't think that can be even remotely work. Quote, said Gleadman. His clear disdain for Reagan's policy was a view that many experts and economists shared, as the idea of cutting government spending in social welfare programs and increasing the military spending, like Reagan did, is not something that is effective in increasing the quality of lives of Americans in a democracy. Despite these issues, throughout the 80s, more and more American citizens bought into the idea that the government was hindering process instead of promoting it. Progress, sorry. Despite these issues, throughout the 80s, more and more American citizens bought into the idea that the government was hindering progress instead of promoting it. The support for Reagan continued to grow as his first term came to an end, especially among independent voters and Republicans. The 40th president, who opposed big government and saw it as the dominant problem in America, had started a movement in changing Americans' attitudes with no proof to back him up. Patrick Scott, 
Uh, I've been here at Louisiana Tech since 2016 and uh, currently teach um, advanced uh, macroeconomics, monetary policy, and research methods uh, over at the College of Business. Great, thank you. Alrighty, so for the questions about Reaganomics, we'll just go ahead and start off with a broad one. Could you please give us a one-minute rundown of what Reaganomics is? No. <laughs> Only because it's going to take longer than a minute. Okay. <laughs> but can I give you a rundown of Reagan Reaganomics? Yes, yes, I can. Okay. <laughs> but uh, it's probably going to take longer than that. So That's fine. Sorry. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, so Reaganomics is loosely, it's not one cohesive thing, but it's rather a collection of a whole bunch of different individual policy prescriptions that have kind of been dubbed this kind of sea change in fiscal policy making. But largely, it's uh, you could rename it as the Hoodwinking of America. Uh, it's it's not uh, it's not fundamentally um, it wasn't very productive. <laughs> it 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 really was a more of a change of expectations uh, among individuals than anything. Uh, in order to really understand the economic policy that Reagan tried to at least campaign on and um, but ultimately tried to implement to some degree of success, uh, you really have to understand where we got, how we got there. Um, starting from about mid-1960s to about 1980s, uh, the size of government increased pretty drastically. Uh, and so uh, there was a, a lot of growth in, in social programs. There was a lot of um, bloating in government. Um, and uh, tax rates, marginal tax rates, slowly kind of inched up, 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 up. Uh, and so then Reagan comes in and kind of runs on a, a, a political campaign message that was very popular in Southern California, but it took uh, it, it it ended up being it resonating uh, nationally, which was okay. Let's try to shrink uh, government, make it leaner, meaner, more efficient. Let's kind of reduce um, uh, reduce taxes and ultimately reduce the size and scope of government. And they did so. They they packaged this under this notion that you can uh, we can have this return to free market principles. First off, I think we need to challenge that before I even go any further on this. The U.S. is not a capitalist society. Uh, it's not a it's not a socialist society either. In fact, we don't operate under those two, um, uh, either of those two uh, ends of the spectrum, so to speak. And easily we could see uh, capitalism like gender as a spectrum. Uh, so it it we don't really behave in on one end of that. We're somewhere in the middle, actually, probably a little bit closer to to a, a capitalist society, but we're definitely not far on that spectrum or that, that extreme. So, uh, and then this, uh, they kind of also got wrapped into this whole weird notion of personal responsibility. I mean, Reagan's quoted of saying something similar, I'm paraphrasing, but somewhere around, if people are homeless, they're choosing to be homeless and, and things like that, that kind of became these these almost social conservative rallying cries around econ wrapped around economic policy and trying to use economic intuition to justify them but it doesn't work that well it no didn't then and it doesn't now but reagan is almost like the precursor to even what we see today or saw today with trump policy because trump policy is just repackaged reagan policy um, it, it, but then, of course, also, once again, kind of failed drastically. Um, so that's, in a nutshell, that's Reagan, Reaganomics. I, I hate it when we kind of just tack an anomics on top of, <laughs> after a presidential name. But that's basically uh, what it is, this notion that if we can 
make government a little more mean, if we can reduce taxes, especially on the upper echelons of society, then uh, prosperity kind of trickles down to the little minions below. Um, that ends up not really working, and I think it's not borne out by evidence. Yeah. Combine that, we also saw a little bit of what, what's now been referred to as supply-side economics, this, uh, this notion that you can uh, kind of also stimulate aggregate supply uh, via tax policy, which is distinctly part of aggregate demand and not aggregate supply, and it really is just this mm -hmm. odd endogenous circular logic that doesn't really work either. Yeah. Massive budget problems within the Reagan administration. I mean, we took the budget deficit and increased it nearly threefold mm -hmm. um, in, in his eight years in the office. Mm -hmm. The budget doesn't change that much. In fact, the budget, I mean, it shrinks a little bit, but it actually was cut more under Carter than it was under Reagan. Carter cut the budget by 4%. Mm -hmm. Reagan, on average, cut it 25 Now, his budgets proposed all kinds of crazy slashes to um, housing funding, um, particularly in financing department. Uh, if you look at um, community programs, rural development, community development programs, it was caustic in terms of uh, the, the rural parts of the country. But that was just what was proposed. In fact, I think there were double-digit decreases almost every budget to the Department of Agriculture. Uh, he threatened to eliminate the Department of Energy and Education. Of course, he didn't, um, which is, frankly, you kind of hear that even today from Republicans. I'm going to get rid of the EPA. No, you're not. Uh, and, um, and, but that's not really what passed. And so we, we kind of have this idea, especially within the public vernacular, that the, a president writes this budget proposal, but then, of course, it's Congress that controls, this, controls the purse strings. It's Congress that actually passes the budget, but then it just sets the tone. And it, it becomes this kind of political uh, stake in the sand, so to speak, in terms of where, uh, what are the uh, priorities of the administration, and yeah, you a politician can can live or die on, on that, but it's ultimately what happens with Congress that really really matters. And Congress did not buy the cuts at all. Congress didn't. In fact, seventy as much as seventy percent of the budget was already at mandatory spending levels, and you they had to be fully funded. And so, um, it there wasn't really that much actual cutting that occurred. But it was the tax policy that was devastating. Um, Reagan reduced the top marginal tax rate from 70% to 50%. Um, it reduced the uh, bottom tax rate uh, lower than that. I think it was somewhere around 14% to 11%, I think, if, if my numbers serve right. Double check me on those numbers. Um, so, but it was, it was much smaller for, for the bottom. But, I mean, that it was the, the reduction of the top marginal tax rate that really created the budget problem for Reagan and that Reagan ultimately... Uh, even attributed in his last year of office as his greatest disappointment was the, the budget problem that he left the country in um, because he, he basically cut off the sources of revenues, but he doesn't really fundamentally change the outlays. But I, I don't really fundamentally know exactly how poor Americans thought because poor Americans largely get ignored. And the, the, the Reagan administration champion that ideology well they don't matter they're on the margins of society and so we can ignore them and that's perfectly fine um yeah so that's that's not really the answer you want to hear what i find really interesting is that there were some successes economically and we tend to 
cast how the the economy is doing within a within a particular presidency as either the fault or the result of those specific policies. The president actually has relatively little power to impact such a large, dynamic, decentralized economy. It's it's just it's they can can they do some things? Absolutely. Can we fix some problems? Yes. Can we create some problems? You better believe it. But um, largely, especially at that time, I don't know that the president did all that much to really fundamentally move the needle. Where Americans started to feel better off across all uh, ends of the distribution scale was through monetary policy at the time. And uh, when you had Volcker coming in there, the, the great disinflation, um, that that's where Americans started to kind of feel good economically towards the, the latter part of the term uh, and ultimately ended up getting Reagan reelected. But that had very little to do with Reagan's policies. That had more to do with the central bank's policies and the central bank trying to set policies that were distinctly different from the president, but then the president ended up reaping that political windfall. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You're all going to stop it. In Reagan's eight years in office, his administration presented and signed budgets that dismantled government involvement in many housing initiatives, including housing vouchers for the poor, urban development action grants, housing development grants, rental rehabilitation grants, and a small housing program for Native Americans. It is no surprise that many of these actions disproportionately affected poor and middle-class families. Despite a Democratic House of Representatives, Reagan was able to succeed in getting some spending cuts to these areas and was able to make further adjustments to them through executive action and federal agencies. A significant amount of these programs had been in place for decades and had popular support. Yet, Reagan championed spending less money on public housing and even completely defunded some programs. Listen to this quote from the New York Times article in 1983 discussing the Reagan budget. It reads, for fiscal year 1983, HUD is proposing a 142,000 unit program, but in a complete shift from prior years when most of the subsidized units were newly constructed or totally rehabilitated, HUD is proposing only 10,000 units of new construction. This was a dramatic shift and deprived many families and individuals in poverty the chance to have an affordable home. One would think that advocating for such a shift in funding for widely used policies would result poorly at the ballot box. However, President Ronald Reagan won both of his elections in landslides. This would seem intriguing. Why would Americans overwhelmingly support a president and administration that promised to cut back on subsidies that they took part in? Part of the answer is because of the way Reagan and the rising economic right sold this idea that cuts in spending and deregulation also meant not being able to benefit from the policies anymore. In Reagan's general election campaign, he raged against the excessive waste of government and argued that many aspects were incompetent, with one of his most famous quotes being, government is not the solution to our problem, government is the problem. If Americans truly agreed with Reagan that the government had grown too large and had too much power, then these policies needed to be reversed, even if people liked them. People who might otherwise support policies such as public housing would be inclined to no longer support it because it went against the claim that government programs relating to social welfare must be reduced. This idea that Americans needed to be free of government assistance programs was peddled along by the insistence that they could be. To the Reagan administration, being too poor to afford housing was a result of one's personal choices. 
In an interview on ABC's Good Morning America, Reagan infamously said, what we have found in this country, and maybe we're more aware of it now, is one problem that we've had, even in the best of times, and that is people who are sleeping on the grates, the homeless who are homeless, you might say, by choice. If someone was homeless, that was because they chose not to have a house and not because of outside factors like the increasing costs of living, stagnating wages, or inability to afford other major bills like healthcare and childcare. Americans' views shifted from believing that government should provide things like public housing to believing that any person who was homeless or struggling to pay bills simply refused to take advantage of the opportunities that were already provided. The idea that there were those undeserving of social of welfare programs extends beyond just public housing. Reagan introduced the idea of the welfare queen, a theoretical individual who would take advantage of many of the welfare programs introduced in the years preceding his presidency, especially that of public housing. As previously mentioned, Reagan was very vocal about his distrust of the government, and it allowed him to successfully convince Americans to agree with him. However, this distrust did not appear in a vacuum. The previous presidencies would set the foundation for the belief that Reagan would successfully market to the American public. The presidencies of Nixon and Carter were especially were awash with controversies. Nixon, of course, was the main perpetrator in the Watergate scandal, and Car Carter was harshly criticized due to his poor handling of the Iran hostage crisis. And Reagan was quick to jump on this in the 1980 presidential election. According to the Pew Research Center, as Reagan was elected, government trust among the populace was only 32% compared to the recorded high of 77 under Lyndon B. Johnson. Aside from the crimes and foreign policy failures, Reagan was able to stoke the fears of the American people as it pertains to the economy. The 70s would contain major, various major economic failings that would decrease the power of the average American as a consumer. Reagan would reference the state in which these crises had left Americans throughout his inauguration speech, saying, these United States are confronted with an economic affliction of great proportions. We suffer from, the long, from one of the longest and worst sustained inflations in our national history. Furthermore, his, throughout his inauguration speech, Reagan would continuously reference those most affected by these economic failings, albeit in different manners. He mentions those he... Throughout his inauguration speech, Reagan would continually reference those most affected by these economic failings, albeit in different manners. He mentions those he claims are burdened by their own success through the effects of those tax systems while also mentioning those who have been living beyond their means. These two points, while only sparingly mentioned in his speech, are quite indicative of the way he sees Americans. Those with, those with success are being suppressed by the overbearing government, while those forced into borrowing or living beyond their means, which we can safely assume means those who are less fortunate, are part of the problem and simply need to stop, stop it which falls in line with the later comments on homelessness being a choice. These attacks on the poor or homeless were easy to notice when simply thinking about what Reagan was saying. So it begs the question, why were people listening? Reagan was great with his ability to simply make people listen. Being an actor before being a politician had given Reagan the ability to be one of the best talkers in politics. And, according to historians Kevin Krause and Jul Julian Zelizer in their book, Fault Lines, he was, 
He was able to reach upwards of 30 million people while arguing against many of the democratic decisions made in the years prior to his presidency. One of the most important aspects of Reagan's economic decisions decisions is not just the way he favored the system that would become known as Reaganomics. Rather, it was the way in which these economic decisions would become weapons in the culture war in which Reagan was one of the largest participants. While it is well established that Reagan was heavily in favor of decreasing the size of government, his statements actually contradict what he ended up doing with the federal budget. While he did cut welfare spending on items such as public housing while providing tax cuts for the wealthy, he would also increase military spending, which according to Krauss and Zelliger, would increase the budget deficit from $80 billion to $200 billion, which is quite the contradiction from the small government plans Reagan had campaigned on. It wasn't just military spending that would increase under Reagan. Under Reagan, the prison population would nearly double, according to the Brennan Center. It isn't much of a stretch to directly attribute this rise to the decisions made throughout the 1980s. It's a pretty well-known fact that living becomes more expensive. People must resort to drastic methods to be able to acquire some form of livable situation. As public housing funding would be decreased, so too were the amount of people who were able to afford housing in general. And as we have previously talked about, people who were most affected by these cuts in funding came from predominantly communities of color. And those people of color would be one of the main villains within the minds of conservatives who would distrust the government in the heat of the ongoing culture war. In referring back to the article by Peter, we are presented with the information that the Reagan administration was simply ignoring redlining that was being done by various banks in spite of the Community Reinvestment Act, which was written to prevent that very issue. In the years since Reagan's presidency, politics has continued to be influenced by the decisions he made all those years ago. The culture wars that would so heavily influence Reagan's political decisions and convince those who supported him that the government is the enemy have continued. The presidencies of the 21st century have seen similar tax cuts and welfare cuts, along with similar increases in the deficit due to military spending. In the modern world, one affected by a pandemic and when and with people becoming more aware of the ways in which the government has neglected them, there is a high level of support of welfare programs such as public housing. According to Vox.com, there is upwards of 60% of the voting populace in favor of increased spending on public housing, especially as housing and the ability to pay for it was negatively affected by the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Even if people would support such an idea, such as increased public housing in the wake of this disaster, there's still a large wave of people who have loudly established their distrust in the government once again. People refuse to listen to government mandates on mass vaccines, and these ideas, while very old in nature, 
can be most quickly traced back to the presidency of the former Hollywood star and California governor Ronald Reagan.